Your old pal, the Crypt Keeper. Tonight's tale of terror comes from the Trick or Treaters podcast. Join them as they journey into the horrifying unknown. <laughs> you are listening to the Trick or Treaters podcast, part of the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Movie reviews, horror news, and all the gory details. Listen if you dare. And hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of the Trick or Treaters podcast. I am your host, Kyle, and I'm joined always by my co-host, JR. How are you doing today, JR? Uh, I am doing great as we are talking on Saturday, November 21st. We're a few days away from Thanksgiving. In the midst of the holiday season, we got online Black Friday sales. We got meal thing. Thanksgiving turkeys to eat. We're mm-hmm. having uh, some wrestling coming up, so it is a good time of the year. Also, with the weather changing, I enjoy, as we mentioned before, I enjoy this weather a lot more because in the summer it's always over 100 degrees, and I feel like I want to die. Yeah, I'm actually excited about Thanksgiving coming up. My job is actually giving us a day off on Thanksgiving. And so for the first time in nine years, uh, I'm going to get to actually eat Thanksgiving dinner with my family and I won't have to like leave early and and be at work ready for the Black Friday sales. I know where you work. We don't need to let the listeners know where you work. But in general, all these retail places, whether it's Target or the or your local malls or Walmarts or Best Buys or whatever, let your employees stay home on the holidays. Fuck's sake, man. Like you People are shopping online now. Nobody's shopping in person. Like, let these people stay at home and have Thanksgiving dinner. They don't even be rushing out on, on Thursday to go to your damn store and sell your piece of shit television for $70. Let people stay home, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's I, my little rant on that. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Like, uh, the, there's been a year before where, uh, you know, on Thanksgiving, you know, I'm, I'm at work. And uh, this this customer walked up to me and told me how she thought it was really shitty that we have to uh, work on Thanksgiving. And I'm just like sitting there like, you know, staring at her like you're the reason why I have to because you're here. (laughs) It's great that you mentioned Black Friday and everything, because today we're talking about probably my favorite horror movie of all time. The original Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. The director, Toby Hooper. He's he's went on an interview and he said that he uh, he got inspiration for this movie because he was at a hardware store during Christmas on like Black Friday. And uh, he just he said he talked about how how crowded it was and he thought about like, you know, how easy would it uh, be to get through this crowd if he if someone just ran a chainsaw through him. And and that's where he, he got the idea for this. My entire life. I've always been told that this is loosely, loosely, vaguely based on a true story. So it sounds like it's not. Yeah, no, it's it's not. And and just like you, I grew up being a big fan of this movie and thinking that this was a true story. Like, And, of course, it didn't help that I had a mom who loved pranking me. And so she would tell me that, you know, the, the, the family was 
caught and they're in prison. So, like, you know, I grew up for years thinking that this was a, a real thing that happened. And it wasn't until later on I found out that, no, it's not. And, you know, in the opening, they have that opening scroll where it does seem like it is kind of telling like it's it's based off a true story. And like a lot of this is one of those movies that came out in the drive in did stuff like this as like a marketing, like a marketing ploy. But uh, no, as far as I know, it's not based on anything. The only thing I guess you could say even loosely based on it is that, uh, you know, the character of Leatherface and then some of the stuff that the family does is the famous killer, Ed Gein. Yes, that's exactly what it is, is is Ed Gein. And if you if for you listeners, if you don't if you get a chance, look up the story. But the story of Ed Gein is nowhere close to the story of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, it's actually yeah. closer to I believe it's, you know, it's one murder that he did versus, you know, obviously the story of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think also, you know, looking up some. Some different, you know, looking at some stories, it looks like Ed Gein's uh, real life, you know, crime also inspired um, potentially Psycho and Silence of the Lambs, too. Um, but, yeah, it's nowhere. The story of Ed Gein, I believe his name was called, looking up different, I'm looking it up as we're talking, the Plainfield Ghoul is nowhere near, you know, nowhere near this, the 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 story of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well and the family. What the stuff from Ed Gein is, is that, you know, if you notice when you're watching the movie, you'll see furniture in the house and it kind of has, it has like human body parts and like, and, uh, and bones and, and human skin. And then, you know, uh, Leatherface's mask is, is made out of human skin. And there's a corpse that's just, you know, sitting there. That's what they mean by it's like inspiration from Ed Gein because, if you know the story of Ed Gein, people call him a serial killer, but like he didn't, he wasn't necessarily a serial killer. He only killed two people. There's a back and forth whether he killed his brother or not. It's never been proven. If that was ever proven, that would be just three people. Uh, but he was more of a grave robber than anything. Like he would go dig up graves and stuff, and uh, he would make like these weird furniture and other items out of body parts and skin and, and stuff. And I think that's where they got the inspiration from. Yes. that That's what I heard. Uh, you know, from the first time I heard about the story, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was somewhere around 1998, early 2000. So that puts us around about 26 years of, you know, for the story to, you know, basically um, over time evolves to something completely different. And actually one of the things about how stories change over time, you know, as why you see different variations is like kind of a quick comparison. When we're talking about communication in school and one of the things they do for training is about proper communication. And we have this game called, um, called telephone or telemarketer. And literally you sit in a circle and, you know, let's say, um, let's, let's say I use a line like I love cereal and you whisper it to somebody's ear, I love cereal. And then their job is to whisper it, you know, to the next person. And then you get to the end and the, the last person is supposed to say what they heard. All of a sudden, you know, you start saying I love cereal and they say, you know, he wants to go out to the mall. Like, because that's how over time, you know, as the rumors and things change from one person to another, 
the you know the rumors or the allegations or the or the actual events changes because rumors change over time and um it's you know you see this all the time in tv shows where a rumor gets started and it's just you know over the course of the day turns into a completely different rumor but yeah um, but that is interesting to hear though so yeah it's not nowhere near what the movie is about like i said before this is this is probably my favorite horror movie of all time. I'm, it's one of the first ones I saw uh, as a kid, and I just immediately drawn to the genre after that. Uh, JR, I think you said that uh, this was your first time watching it, right? Yes. I just, this is the second time I actually went back. And the reason why uh, Text Chainsaw Massacre, the film series, takes like 85 different fucking turns. I mean, with the different remakes and reimaginings and prequels and you know, the family names, you know, I was I was going to say the Sawyer family, but the Sawyer family is not even the, the family in this one. It's a different last name. So there is all kinds of different twists and turns. And it's kind of hard to keep track of, of the storylines. And I think one of the reasons why I kind of stayed away from it was, as we all know, I had an ass backwards entrance into horror. Um, you know, I think the first one I saw was The New Generation with Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey, which is just so god awful it was i thought it was a horrible film so i'm like well if i if i didn't like this why the hell would i go back and watch any other ones and i think you know eventually when i got older i saw the one with jessica Biel. i think that was released in 2003 yeah i remember the one i don't know her i think her name is jordana brewster um who was in the faculty and famous for the fast and the furious franchise was in another one yeah. Um I remember the three D version with Yeah, well, we don't talk about that one. <laughs> I you know what though? I'm be honest. I kinda I kinda dug it though. I, I kinda like the I, I, I really like how the, the sheriff or the mayor got his comeuppance at the end of it. Yeah. Fucking threw his ass in that giant meat grinder and uh and 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 Leatherface chopped his hands off. So uh, with the chainsaw, so I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, you know, some of the some of the things yeah. in there. And, and the cop at the end is like, the, the cop at the end, he's like, clean clean this shit up, or he says that's to that effect. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I thought it was kind of funny, but yeah, I mean, I I could see you know the that one. I you know as we get into this one, one of the things that we're gonna talk about is I'm I'm a fan of characters. And I think with this film, Text Chase on Massacre, this is more of a storyline-driven film. The characters, in my opinion, don't make or break the film. It's the story that made the film. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And uh, what's great about this is that, uh, uh, um, you know, that everybody, you know, everybody knows Jamie Lee Curtis from Halloween uh, movies as being like, you know, one of the first final girls and, and everybody looking at her. But, you know, this movie came out four years before Halloween. And I don't feel that that Sally really gets enough credit as being like truly one of the first final girls in horror. Oh, I think she is the very definition of a final girl. I mean, if you look at it and, and I was talking to my brother before we got on about it, she is very fortunate to be a final girl because, I mean, I think by, you know, with the way this, like I said, this is a story driven film. She luckily escapes with her life and she is the only survivor out of essentially this whole cast of characters. Yeah, he'll get into that later, but there's dispute whether or not Pam survived or not. Well, that actress can believe all she wants. That bitch <laughs> did. She she's frozen solid. She's still probably in that damn freezer in somewhere in Texas. 
But uh, so uh, before we get into it, we just got a couple of news things to get into. And uh, as always, our news is brought to you by CarmenChildersAVTech.com. If you ever need any AV tech services or you just want to buy some some awesome looking merch, go to CarmenChildersAVTech.com and check it out. So the first news thing, uh, Scream 5 has officially wrapped filming. It, it, it's officially done. And what's interesting is that uh, Kevin Williamson, uh, he released like an interview and like some 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 photos with uh, with Neve Campbell and stuff. And he talked about how like, you know, when they went to the movie and like the, the, they feel the movie honors Wes Craven and stuff, which I was, as a fan, I was very happy to hear. But it's very interesting. There was a picture that Williamson released with where he's with uh, with Neve Campbell. And in the background, it looks like Stu's house is in the background. And so that just has me super excited because I'm like wondering if they're either going to do flashbacks to Scream 1 or if we're actually going to see a return to Stu's house. If maybe one of the character, one of the new characters maybe maybe lives in it or, or something like that. It's not going to happen. At least I'm 99.5 percent positive won't happen. But I said from the beginning, you talk about people surviving, and you said, Pam, Stu could have survived. Because at the end of the day, she drops a TV on his head. And it's a big-ass bitch TV, and I know from experience, and I apologize for all my cursing. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting into my feel, so when I start talking freely, I, curse words come out because um, I, I curse like a sailor. <laughs> but, you know, she drops a TV on his head, and, the, and those TVs, you know, my dad worked on TVs his entire life. These tube TVs are very heavy. They're 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 uh, front heavy because that's why the weight is at the very front of the TV. But he puts his hands up in the TV and the way that the weight is distributed. It's um it's not even because the weight is all front loaded and if the, your TV in the front is kind of curved with a tube. So if he has his hands up and while it does fall on his head, it's entirely possible that he may have gotten knocked out. But I don't see it, and at the distance it falls, enough to essentially crush his head and kill him. So yeah. he could be living out in the woods for all we know. Like, you know, I'm just saying, you know, I'm, and I love Stu, and I know um, our friend from Screen Kings, uh, Cece, and I think you as well, you know, retweeted uh, what he did as Scream. Um, they did a reunion video, and fans had the, the ability to purchase um, virtual meeting greets. And stu- and everybody, I mean, Nev Campbell, David Arquette, Matthew Lillard, um, yeah. and Skeet Ulrich, who plays um, who Billy. plays Billy Loomis, Rose McGowan, who plays uh, David Arquette's sister, Tatum. Tatum, yeah. Um, they all have virtual meet and greets, and you know, one of the fans was like, you know, could you please say this line? You know, <laughs> yes. the line that he's everybody's saying. Yeah. He's like, my he goes. Well, what, how's he say? I, excuse me. How's he say it though? My mom and dad are gonna be so mad at me. <laughs> my mom and dad are gonna be so mad at me. So he's he's a great. I mean, honestly, like you know that you know character driven. That first one, you know, they're great characters, but man, um, I think for me though, Matthew Lillard just takes it, and I would love for to see him come back. You know, potentially yeah. in some sort of flashback or something. I mean, for me, him. As well as uh, you know, Stu and, and Randy's characters are really underrated, but they are extremely important to the that first film. Yeah, oh yeah, I 100% agree with you. I'm I'm a huge Stu fan, so I, I wouldn't be disappointed to see him 
uh, to see him alive and returning for Scream 5. And I don't know if I've ever told you about this. There is an unused Scream 3 script that you can find on the internet and read it uh, where Stu is in prison running a cult from from prison. Like there's a ghost face cult going around doing the killings and it turns out Stu is in prison running it. It'll be a very interesting movie. That's who replaced Scream 4 because I fucking hate Scream 4. I have no – I really have zero problems with Scream 3. I like the whole concept of going back to the beginning. I love Scream 4. I can't stand Scream 4. And I think it's in this – I think it's the ending is what, what really what kills everything for me in Scream 4, as you know. And um, whether it's wrestling or horror, I love nostalgia. Anything that goes back to the beginning I think is tremendous. Um, so I'm all for, you know, if they do something – to even if it's flashbacks if it's you know doing something where it's like this is where it all began you know kind of in this you know in some ways is um i I don't think it'll be similar but it's it is the concept we've seen in nightmare on elm street um like for example freddy versus jason we kind of seen it in um in halloween multiple times whether it's uh halloween five halloween six how the you know the Myers house always comes back or Myers house always comes back so whatever it is I think would be um what they do with if it's Stu's house would be great. Moving on, this got announced yesterday. Robert England, you know who everybody knows as Freddy Krueger, uh, he got cast in season four of Str- of Stranger Things. And what I love about this is that John Squires of Bloody Disgusting he tweeted yesterday something uh, something that I really liked. He said that. You know, when it comes to horror icons like, like you know, uh, Freddie, like you know, Robert England and Kane Hodder and you know people like this, you know, we love them in the horror movies, but because of what we know them as, they usually don't get other big roles, you know, outside of that. And so for him to be cast in Stranger Things, for Robert England to be cast in Stranger Things is 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 great, and uh, it, it's a great thing. Uh, I've only seen like a couple episodes of the first season of Stranger Things. I, I've, I haven't really, you know, gave it. Uh, I haven't really tried to sit down and, and really give it attention to watch it. I plan on changing that soon. Cause I, I, I've heard a lot of really good things. I mean, it, it has some horror elements. It has it's uh, has sci-fi stuff, and it's set in the '80s, which you know, obviously, I love everything. I love uh, movies and TV shows set in the '80s. So I mean, it, it has you know all the formula for me to lock it but uh i i watched a couple episodes and it, it was fun but i don't know it just really didn't quite get me drawn in and maybe it just had a slow start and i just got to get past certain episodes but uh i plan on checking it out again soon i see it kind of similar to in the way i picked up on it um like dexter where i after i got to the first few episodes i started getting into it I really, you know, enjoyed the um, the kids' characters, especially as we get more into the seasons. Uh, the character Dusty, I think, is that kid is hilarious to me. I, especially in the last season um, with him, and um, I won't get into it. But there, there's just a storyline that he has, a subliminal storyline after he comes back from camp that I think is that is awesome. The um, I think it's just a great the the kids are just amazing they make it they make that I also like the sheriff who uh is played by David Harbour who who also played Hellboy in the in the new one he, he plays Jim Harper in it so 
it's it's a great film. It's it's again it being a very good TV show. Right now, the wider is also in their place as a mom. The addition of Robert England, I think, is tremendous. When I see Robert England, the one good thing, at least for me, I can't speak for everybody. I don't see Robert England as Freddy Krueger. I don't see Freddy Krueger as Robert England, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, obviously the makeup and the prosthetics. You know, I, for me, it's probably you know in a similar fashion as you know when I see Chucky, I don't see Brad Dorif, and I when I see Brad Dorif, I don't see Chucky because obviously this it it's the voice of it. So, and, but that is very true. You know, when you look at the the best examples when you see a, a TV series or a film series. Um, you know, like one of the ones I watched growing up, and and I hate to say this, but this is this potentially is going to happen to even these characters in Stranger Things. You know, Millie Brown who plays Eleven, Finn who plays Mike, uh, Noah who plays Will, and Gaten who plays Dudson, and Kayla who plays Lucas as, as the the five main uh, children in this TV show. When they leave, they could potentially be typecast, and that happens all the time. And you're 100 right. It happened. You know, I remember you know shows I watched as a kid, say by the bell or family matters, it was hard for those, especially the younger characters to, to get casting, you know, growing up, you know, I've like watching Harry Potter from eighth grade through college, you know, Daniel Radcliffe and, and um, Emma Watson, and they had a hard time, you know, finding roles for a while because everybody sees them as Hermione and Harry Potter. So I just love the look. I think Robert England though has this, this natural look about him where he looks like he can play a sadistic serial killer. And so I don't think this is going to be a stretch for him. And I think he's going to do a, bring a welcome addition to it. In a similar fashion to how I was kind of excited for American Horror Story Coven, I'm also excited for for this bringing in Robert England. The last bit of news, 20th Century Studios is moving forward with a, a, pred- a new Predator movie is in the works uh, there. And they are getting Dan Trachtenberg who was the director for 10 Cloverfield Lane, and he directed some of the boys. He set to direct the movie. There's no plot details at the moment, and that was reported by Deadline yesterday. So now, finally, we're going to talk about probably my favorite horror movie of all time, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. What happened was true. The most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in America that is just as real. Just as close. Just as terrifying as being there. Even if one of them survives, what will be left? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre was released on October 11th, 1974. It's directed by Toby Hooper. Screenplay was by Toby Hooper and Kim Hinkle. It stars Marilyn Burns, Paul Pertain, Edward Neal, Jim Saito, and Gunnar Hansen as uh, Leatherface or or Bubba. It has a runtime of 83 minutes. I think this is what's great about this. This movie isn't very long. It, it's you know it's an hour and 23 minutes. It had a budget of less than 140,000. And it made $30.9 million at the box office. So originally, Toby Hooper, he wanted this to be a PG movie. I don't know how the hell you can have a PG movie called Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but, you know, whatever. So, like, 
he wanted this to be a PG movie. And like, if you notice like throughout the film, some of the kills, I mean, there's some kills that you can clearly see, but most of the kills and horror aspects is applied is implied off screen. And he did that to try and get a PG rating, which in turn actually, uh, uh, went bad on him because it actually made the movie more horrifying and uh he he the the ratings board wanted to give this movie an x rating and it wasn't until they finally gave it an r rating that toby hooper finally you know said whatever and accepted it and 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 took that and released it but like how do you feel jr about toby wanting this to be a pg movie <laughs> real quick because i'm always i always love numbers and i think numbers are are important so yeah. this film in today forty thousand in 1974 money is equivalent to today around seven hundred fifty thousand. um which if you want to put a comparison um for those of you who are sports fan that's basically like the nfl veteran minimum to sign a player so it's not exactly like a lot you know it for us you know middle income seems like a lot of money but in hollywood terms if I'm not mistaken, we always talk about this, especially older films. I don't. This would be something that'd be along the lines of, I don't think this would be considered a small budget film. I think this would be considered almost a no budget film because it's beneath, you know, a million dollars today. Thirty million in 1974 is in today's amount of money is 158 million dollars, um, which, you know, when you're talking about on a 750 thousand dollar budget, I don't even. I mean, when you talk about success, this is, you know, by far one of the most successful films, I think, in the history of of the horror genre. Kudos to the directors and the producers for creating a film that, you know, that made this much money because um, with that kind of budget and what they had to work with and and we'll talk about it, you know, as we get through the end, like, you know, how much effort they put in. This is a success that is amazing. I mean, in some ways, I actually, I don't say some ways, it's true. This actually blows away Halloween 1978 as far as the success they did. When you look at how much, you know, what they had to work with as far as their budget and how much money they made. This movie is insanely important in the horror genre. Headley Scott has said that this movie is one of the inspirations behind creating Alien. So, you know, without this, we, we probably wouldn't have the Alien series. It's on the list of 1,001 uh, movies you must see before you die. And also, Slant Magazine has it in the, the number one spot of the of the 100 best horror films of all time. And it's ranked number six in Entertainment Weekly's top 50 cult films of all times. So this is this is a highly important film. Kyle, just as a point of reference, we talk about like the financial success of this film. You know, as we mentioned, a hundred forty thousand dollar budget in nineteen seventy four, it made thirty million dollars. And in twenty thirteen, when they made Texas Chainsaw three D, they had a twenty million dollar budget and made forty seven million in the box office. Yeah. So that just goes to show you like how, just in con- comparison to uh, that film, if I'm doing the math correct in my head, I want to say. That that's uh, approximately almost four, almost 40 years, you know, to the year, you know, thir- 39 years from when Texas Chainsaw Massacre 74 came out compared to Texas Chainsaw 3D that they made, you know, if you add inflation, you know, twice as much, easily twice as much without me doing the calculations 
um, more than three 3D for a budget that you know, let's say six hundred thousand in twenty thirteen for less than I would say, I mean by less than five percent of a, of the budget. So that's you know that really goes to show you like how successful Chainsaw Massacre '74 was compared to um, you know the the sequels it made, um, you know including the Chainsaw Chainsaw 3D. So I mean that's that's really important. Even if you um, I don't know if this was meant to be released in the box office or if it was meant to go direct to DVD, but they in 2017 um, they released Leatherface. And that didn't even make a million dollars in the box office. It's insane. All right. So we opened the movie. It, it, it's a really eerie, like, prelude. Uh, you, you see, like, a close-up on, like, on like mutilated bodies and stuff. And then you get an introduction with, like, a scroll, uh, a message scroll. And uh, in that message, we get, you know, the infamous, you know, these are the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre line. They've put these in like almost every trailer for every movie, for every movie in this franchise coming going forward almost. And we hear uh, in during the opening, we hear a radio broadcast about uh, several gruesome grave robberies. Well, we see the group and we have Sally, who is played by uh, Marilyn Burns. We have her brother, Franklin, who is played by Paul Pertain. And I don't know about you, Jr., but God damn was Franklin annoying as shit. He is like literally the most whiniest character I've ever seen in horror. <laughs> um, I honestly like you know because I I compare him to and I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but there was a kind of a similar character to Franklin in the Leprechaun movie with Jennifer yeah. Aniston the original. There's a similar character that gets killed in Friday Thirteenth. Yeah, part yeah. five. Yeah, I, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that. Glad about to say that when I was when I was rewatching this last night. All I could think of was Roy Burns' uh, son in part five, the, the the annoying, the annoying one who the the, the one guy ends up cutting uh, cutting half of the axe. He is kind of annoying. Yeah. But at the same time, he's also not overly annoying in my opinion, because some of the things like you know, as we get to the film, but there's a part where you know he's looking at the van, he's trying to study something. It's just like you, you could tell that you know he's he's thinking of things and he's processing things. Um, that he sees and he, you know, he raises, you know, certain aspects of it is just, unfortunately, you know, he's in a wheelchair and he has special needs. Yeah. So he's very dependent on his siblings and his friends. Um, and he asks a lot of questions, but I, but he also thinks a whole lot. Like, you know, he talks about, you know, as we get to the hitchhiker, they pick up after, after, you know, through the course of the film. But um, I, I didn't find, you know, I think the other thing too, in general, when we look at this film, what is one of the most common things we see in horror, especially in horror sequels, is you get just a random hodgepodge of teenagers that really just bring down the film because they're annoying, they're horrible acting. And because of this film and the budget, they essentially picked a group of random actors in the local Texas area. Yeah. And, you know, I think maybe because of the pacing of the film, they don't get in the way of the film. They don't get in the way of you enjoying the film. Yeah. And that's, I think, really important to the success of the story of the film is like it doesn't make you just be like, well, I'm going to turn this shit off because these characters are annoying. And, you know, we talk about, you know, one of the comparisons is, you know, Texas Chainsaw 3D, you know, with the exception of like one character, the main the main final girl, 
a lot of those characters were just like, could you shut up and die already? Because you're pissing me off. Oh yeah. And I don't see that with I don't see that with seventy four. Again, it could be the pacing of the film because as we said, it's I mean eighty three minutes, and, and I'm not sure if that's begin time to credit time. That is a I mean we're talking about literally that's less than four thirty minute sitcoms. Yeah. You know, each pretty much a sitcom is you know with commercials about twenty twenty to twenty two minutes. So this is a very short film, and oh, yeah. I think the pacing allows you to not you know where the characters are you know they don't get in the way. So that's just, I really wanted to say that before I forget. So we have Sally, we have her brother, Franklin. We have Sally's boyfriend, Jerry. We have uh, Sally's uh, best friend, Pam and Pam's boyfriend, Kirk. And that's our group. So they're all driving to an old homestead in Texas. Well, on the way they stop at a local cemetery because Sally has concerns that her grandfather's grave had been vandalized, and so she wants to stop and make sure everything's fine. And I think it's during this during this scene. Uh, isn't uh, this is where uh, they're all kind of standing outside a van, and uh, an eighteen wheeler comes by the van and like and like uh, it scares Franklin, and he ends up like rolling down a hill and falling out of his wheelchair and just tumbling. I was like, what the hell? No, that that actually I will say. I don't understand this scene because it's actually yeah. a different part where they pulled off to the side of the road and Franklin had to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And it, it's not just Franklin. Um, I can't remember his name, but one of the guys, he's standing and if something happens where like, it seems like the big rib picks up like a gust of wind because yeah. he kind of falls back too. And Franklin takes a horrible, horrible tumble down yeah. the side of this hill. That's just, it was a very weird scene because I've never seen anything like that. In real, I mean, I would say honestly, like in real life, you know, we obviously seen if a truck passes by you, if a, um, you know, I, I mean, I've ridden my bike on the side of a, a 55 mile an hour street, and yeah, like you kind of get, you do get scared, but you know, it's not like where it's gonna blow me off the side of the road. So that was just that was a very weird scene. I would say out of this whole film, that was probably one scene that that didn't need to happen. I just because there's no. It didn't lead to anything. It wasn't like Franklin. They had to go to like to like a hospital or get him checked out or they had to stop at, you know, somewhere to get him like stitched or something. It was just weird. That must have been one strong gust of wind to do that. But that was that was insane. So on the way to the homestead in Texas, they pick up a hitchhiker because in their words, uh, it's too hot for for you know someone to be out here walking around. And this hitchhiker from the start, you know, he's he's you know, talking incoherently and he's just he's fucking crazy. He ends up pulling a knife. Uh, he, uh, Franklin has this pocket knife that he's uh, messing around with and the hitchhiker grabs a pocket knife from him. And then he just like cuts like really deep his his hand just right there. And he's just kind of laughing the entire time. And it's also weird because, like, while this is going on, you got this, like, happy music playing in the background on the radio. So that was that was hilarious. So, like, he, he does that. And so they're all, like, freaking out. So then he uh, the, the hitchhiker has a camera. He grabs a camera and he takes a picture of Franklin and he, like, pulls out the picture. And he goes, he goes, here, here you go. It's a good picture. Uh, Two dollars. I was like, I was like, oh, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty good picture. He, he, I'd, I'd pay him for it. I mean, I don't know about you, Jr. <laughs> so then after that, uh, he gets pissed because the, uh, the they don't want to buy the picture. 
So he pulls out a razor, a uh, straight razor, and he cuts Franklin's arm. And so now they pull over and they kick him out. I mean, and pretty much like the whole, the whole, if you can take anything from this movie, and uh, it's also hilarious because it's don't pick up hitchhikers. And it's funny because the hitchhiker uh, is played uh, is played by by Edwin Neal. He said in an interview that he had Texas state troopers shake his hand and thank him for dropping the crime rate down by 18% because people were too scared to pick up hitchhikers after this movie. <laughs> I'm going to say men are stupid <laughs> because all the guys in the damn van are like, Oh, let's pick him up. And all the girls are like, no, he yeah. looks creepy. There's something wrong about him. He doesn't look normal. And like, if they didn't pick him up, this movie wouldn't. It doesn't happen. And all the girls are like, don't pick him up. And honestly, if you're, you know, if I'm driving and I'm with, you know, a woman and she's like, I don't feel comfortable if we bring, pick up this guy, I ain't picking up that damn guy. And and I'm sorry, guys, like, and guys and girls, I'm never picking up a fucking hitchhiker ever in my life. I'm never going to, it's never going to happen. I'm not going to pick him up, you know, and you have, um, text sheets on Massacre think about this. So if, you know, Edwin Neal did you as a disservice. Nobody pick up hitchhikers ever again. He did a great job as a hitchhiker in this. And uh, from what I read in the interview, when he uh, auditioned for the part, he really didn't know like what, how to do it. So uh, he apparently took inspiration. He has a schizophrenic brother, and he just kind of, he just kind of uh, took inspiration from him and and played the part uh, from from what he's noticed his brother do and stuff. So after this. After they kick the hitchhiker out, they they're on the way to the homestead. Well, they stop at a gas station to get gas. And uh, what's also cool, so so this gas station, uh, it's still up in it's still up t- 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 today. The people who own it end in, have ended up like pretty much turning it into like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre like um, a fan museum. Uh, the the van that they're driving in the movie. The people who own the gas station now, they actually did buy a replica, like an exact replica van, and it sits outside uh, every day, and so people can drive up there and take pictures uh, outside of it. And I think I think you can get in it as well and take pictures, and uh, it, it looks uh, they pretty much buy buy props and stuff to make it try to look as realistic as possible. And this is like one of my biggest bucket list locations to visit. I want to I want to go there so bad. Uh, so where's it exactly at in Texas? Uh, let me check real quick. I, I had it pulled up. It's located in Bastrop, uh, Texas. Okay. Yeah. It, and it looks like the house, from what I can see, is located in Kingsland, Texas. Yeah. Besides, you know, you can visit like they have all kinds of museum stuff. They have like a museum you can go in and look at, and uh. And everything. I, I I think they have uh I think they have food too, which it'd be interesting to go there and uh have barbecue there. <laughs> but uh besides, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> besides that, there's also uh, some cabins behind the gas station, and so you can stay in in one of the cabins uh, too. 
So, so you mean you can just, you know, pretty, you can stay the night at the Texas Chainsaw Master gas station. And this is something insane that I would definitely be 100% down for. Well, when you go pick up a shirt, cause I ain't fucking going. So, <laughs> Oh yeah. Okay. I would definitely pick up. You a know, shirt. that's just in general though. Um, you know, for those, I don't want to stereotype Kyle or assume based on where you live in, in, in the South. Yeah. Um, but I have family in Texas and one of the things about Texas and it's kind of similar to California, these bigger States, you know, it's very spread out. So this, when I looked up this area of Kingston, Texas, where the house was at, there's, I mean, it's, there's nowhere nearby it. I mean, the biggest yeah. cities of Austin and San Antonio are, I must, looks like at least a hundred, a hundred, if not 200 miles away from that area. So there's really like, you would have to, you know, it's not like, oh, we're going to, I mean, and you're driving out of the area to get there. So it's not like, oh, it's on the way to, you know, a specific, you know, city we're going to um, as like, you know, let's say, for example, if you're going to look up a place like New Orleans or something like that, like it's one of the downsides about bigger states is when you there's something worthy of see, like you want to see when things are spread out. Like, you know, I deal with in California, people are like, oh, where you live at? It's like, oh, I tell them, they're like, oh, well, I always wanted to go like the Golden Gate Bridge. I'm like, the Golden Gate Bridge is nowhere near where I live at. Like, it's literally yeah. like five hours away from me. So <laughs> um, it's just, and that's how it is in Texas. You know, I have family spread out of different parts of Texas. And it's like, oh, we're going to go see your cousins in Texas. Oh, what about these other cousins? It's like, yeah, that's like an eight-hour drive. Like, there's, yeah, we're not going to go see both of them. <laughs> yeah, from what I've read, like, yeah, this was filmed, like, literally in the middle of nowhere. So... Uh, there was not a lot of stuff here. And what sucks about the filming of this movie is that this was not an easy movie to film because uh, they uh, like there was times where there was like 100, 112 degree heat and they're, they're out there doing this. And not to mention they use like real animal bones and stuff like during certain scenes and stuff. So like the smell was horrendous. And uh, in there's documentaries of the, talk about the making of and there was many scenes where they do a scene and then they'd walk outside and puke and go back in to do another scene just because of how horrendous uh the, the smell was did quick so san antonio kingsland texas where this house is is a hundred miles north of san antonio from austin it's 70 miles um northwest of austin texas so yeah, like i said there's there's nothing by it as far and i um so there's nothing by it but as far as, you know, we're talking about the humidity, the animal smell, I swear people are going to think I'm some crazed person by the end of the day, know my whole family history. Um, there's a reason why we didn't, you know, we don't, when we had to, you know, do any sort of, you know, harvesting of livestock, we didn't do it during summertime because it's hot as shit. It's in, it's, you know, it's a pain in the ass. You got to worry about flies and yeah, like this is not, this would not be a good time, you know, they should have filmed this during like winter or or at the the worst of fall, you know, yeah. because that humidity and those temperatures, you know, especially because I've been to Texas, it's one of the you know, and I put this out there on on Twitter and not you know not to say I hate you know the whole state of Texas because like I said I have family there, but the one but there's things in Texas I hate and the number one thing is the humidity and temperature. It is unbearable, so I can't imagine being in the middle of nowhere in the 70s and you obviously with no budget they are you know they don't have trailers they don't have air conditioning and they're busting ass to get this thing filmed yeah um and so yeah there's this this would not have been a good time 
they filmed this for four weeks too. If I'm not mistaken, didn't they not only film it for four weeks, but they did it was nonstop filming as well as they had twelve yeah, to twelve to sixteen hour days? Yeah, yeah. One scene, the the iconic dinner scene, it's there's no confirmed length because everybody says a different length. It's it's between twenty four and like twenty eight hours straight on that on the dinner scene alone. But uh, so they go to the gas station and uh, there's a guy there at the gas station who who uh, who is referred to in the movie as the the cook, but we later find out is the actual uh, is actually the uh, the older brother of the Sawyer family. He tells them that the tanks are empty and you know that there's no gas in the pumps. So so then they leave and they set off. They get back on the road and they make it to this plantation mansion. And like, wait, why did they just? Why would you go to this mansion, this the rundown mansion, and just get out and start walking around and walking in and checking out the place like you own it? Like, this is like one of the reasons why this movie, one of the reasons why everything happens to them, because these people just walk in places that they shouldn't just be walking up into. <laughs> yeah, because well, they they go to the homestead. And when they get there, they start looking for the um, – they go – as Franklin tells them that Kirk and Pam want to go find the, you know, a swimming hole. Yeah. And when they go, they also find a nearby house, and they're like, oh, maybe they have gas, and that way we can you know, take off in the morning or something of that nature. But you know, if you're living in a, a desolate area – and you know, I know like the 70s was a different time you know, because you – know, they always you always hear about like small towns and small areas like everybody's friendly you know no one locks their doors that night you know I, I guess I get it but don't enter a random person's house what is wrong with you and in addition to that Kirk finds a tooth and gives it to Pam in you know in in the when they're at the the altered house like if if I found a, just a random tooth and you could tell it's a human tooth not an animal tooth I'd be like this is kind of weird. Yeah, maybe I should get away from this house. Yeah, one of the funniest things back at the plantation, Franklin hears everybody hears Pam and Kurt, you know, uh, flirt, uh, you know, being all, all all flirty upstairs and stuff, and everybody else walking around and sounds like they're all having fun. And you know, Franklin's you know just rolling around in his wheelchair, and he says the funniest line. He says, uh. If I have uh, if I have any more fun today, I don't think I'll be able to take it. <laughs> God, he's he's so, see, it, he's so damn whiny. <laughs> but the thing, see, and I feel bad for him because again, yeah. he's in a wheelchair. He has special needs because he's in a wheelchair, and everybody like leaves him on his own, and so yeah. he feels like the third wheel. And everybody's like, oh, having you know, they're all couples, and yeah. he's kind of on his own. And so I, I, I mean, I feel bad for the dude, man. He's just like, I don't want, like, he just feels like he's left out. Yeah. So you know, as y'all were saying, uh, Pam and Kurt go and look for, uh, for a, uh, a water hole, but it, they find it, but it's dried up. So then they hear a generator nearby, and so you know, they go to this, they find this house, and there's a bunch of cars in the yard, like an insane amount of cars out in the yard. And uh, they figure, okay, well maybe they can, uh, we can get gas there. They'll have gas that we can use. So 
They end up going to the house, and Pam stays outside while Kirk walks in to explore the house. You know, big mistake there. Uh, he ends up uh, coming across like he enters a secret room. And here's where we meet our first face-to-face encounter with Leatherface, or or Bubba, as he's uh, called in the film. And uh, I love this scene of, of of him just pop. He literally just like pops up, and it's just like this. The camera kind of zooms in real quick, and then he just bashes his head with this with this. Uh, it's like a what? It's like a meat hammer. No, I think it's a sledge. I think it's a. I think it's a mallet. Um, is it a mallet? Okay. Yeah. I think it's mallet. And the difference between a mallet and a sledgehammer is basically a mallet is basically is is a is essentially the top of a sledgehammer, except not as heavy, and yeah. it's just on and it's on um it's it's on the handle of a, of a hammer. So it's it's you know you basically you it's a one handed instrument versus the two handed instrument of a sledgehammer. So yeah. Um, I honestly I'm trying to think when I would I use like a, a mallet in I think like in the in wood shop, you know, I don't even know what I would use a mallet for. I've used sledgehammers a lot more, you know, cutting wood and stuff like this. I will say, again, I swear that people are gonna think I'm some crazy person, but um, Kurt's body reactions um, is actually pretty on par. If if you if somebody ever has a, I'm gonna just say this with people that think I'm so sort of I promise I'm not a serial killer, people. I swear I'm not. Like I just know these things because of you know, you know, harvesting animals. I promise. Um, if you ever, if if an animal ever has blunt force trauma to the head, is and us humans are animals. Like let's be real. Like we're mammals. Um, their body, their nervous system goes into shock and essentially goes into it looks like a seizure. And Kirk's body, what he's doing. Is is exactly similar to what an animal's body would go through if they have blood force trauma to the head, and so um, and it's it's just a reaction. It's it's normal. It's kind of you hear stories like about this and people um, you know, with back in the medieval days, people would get their head decapitated like all of a sudden, like well their bodies, you know, they're still alive, their body's moving. It's like it's their nervous system shutting down and going to shock. So, um. Yeah, I when I saw that I was like, yeah, that's actually that's pretty realistic of what would happen, you know, if, if an animal was slaughtered in, in a similar way. Throughout the movie, you're going to see very a lot of similarities between, you know, animals going into it. it, it, it essentially, animals going into a slaughterhouse is basically what this movie is. Because what's uh, one of the things I really like about this movie and what adds to the atmosphere of it is, besides a few licensed like songs that they had the rights to use, most of the sounds stuff that toby hooper made was is like industrial sounds and stuff that, that toby hooper made in his house for the movie and he made them to make them sound like sounds that an animal would hear inside of a slaughterhouse and that's what the whole score of this movie is oh 100 i mean this is I, I i will say i've never been into a slaughterhouse yeah um i i can testify that you know all my all my experiences are working on you know being on uh farms or on a mini farm but yeah i mean everything Franklin talks about, you know, especially like he has in the beginning part, he has a sequence about the, I can't remember what it's called, the instrument that they use to, you know, kill animals that spike. Um, if you if you actually notice, um, if you've anybody's ever seen the film, I believe it's called No Country for Old Men. The killer in the film, whose name is uh, name in the film is called Sugar, 
sh- uh, sugar. I think this is it's not spelled like how you would do, uh, as you would say sugar. He's played by Javier Bardem, but one he uses an instrument just like this, um, a, a, a spike that has like a hydraulic you know press on it um, that uses like I think like oxygen or or some sort of uh, like CO2 can- canister or something like that cartridge. It's called a captive bolt pistol. Is what it's called, and um, that's used to that's what they use to kill. You know, it's a more humane way to to kill animals in slaughter. So a lot of the stuff that I mean they talk about is that's exactly what it is, how they use it in a slaughterhouse. And um I mean such that's what Leatherface has in his house is a slaughterhouse. So Kirk's dead dead. He he's dead dead, yeah. Yeah. He's he's for sure ain't coming back at all. Yeah, so so Kirk's dead. And then we get so Pam is walking up and she's gonna go into the house. And this is where we get one of the most iconic shots in the movie. And you know, bravo to, to the to cinematographer David Pearl. No, Daniel Pearl. Daniel Pearl. My bad, not David. Daniel Pearl. So like, kudos to him because man, this shot was amazing. It's it just like it, it, it's hard to it's it's hard to explain. It, it's kind of like the camera's like kind of like sl- slanted, but like looking upward, and we just see like this awesome shot of 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 Pam walking to the house. And it's just like the way it was shot. And what's interesting is that uh, that almost didn't make the movie. They were kind of uh, some of the people weren't uh, didn't really want to do it. And Toby Hooper kind of uh, he stepped in and and said, yeah, uh, and, and it pretty much said he wanted to do it. Uh, and so they ended up putting it in there and then it ended up being like, you know, one of the most iconic shots in the movie. Actress who plays Pam she at first didn't like it but over the years she's come she's come to really like it pam goes into the house and when she she's she's walking in and she ends up stumbling around and and uh, comes into a falls into a room filled with bones and like live chickens and once again one of the things that makes this movie as great as it is is that bob burns uh he actually like went around and went around to different places and got taxidermied animals and animal bones and uh, all kinds of stuff like that to put to spread throughout this house and stuff to make it to make it look authentic. And so, like you know, th- that really adds adds to the movie if they w- that they actually use like you know live animal bones and stuff. But uh, so she goes in that house and she falls into the room and so she sees that and she gets uh she gets freaked out and so she runs out of the house. But and then we get one of my favorite scenes ever. She runs out of the house, and as she runs out, Leatherface uh, comes up behind her and catches her on the front porch in like a hug, and drags her back in. And it's like one of the one of the one of the best scenes in the movie. He drags her back inside, and he ends up hanging her onto a meat hook in the back room. And then while she's on the meat hook, she's then forced to witness him dismember uh kirk with a chainsaw but now you don't actually see him like cutting into kirk it's more like implied you can you can see him with a chainsaw but you don't see any blood and once again like this movie doesn't have a lot of blood in it, it, it which is which is odd i could tell you um i kind of any anything i see that happens i don't know about you kyle boom i see these horror films and you know when i see things like people get stabbed or like in this case like people get um you know, like 
Pam got, gets the meat hook in her back. I just, I cringe because I'm just like, I feel like I feel it. I'm like, oh my God, like my back. Yeah. And uh, I, I've never, I'll be honest, I've never seen a meat hook. Um, I We've had had something similar to a meat, a meat hook. Um, and when I was raising goats, um, it's a hook they used to carry bells of hay. So it has a similar thickness and, you know, as a meat hook. I can't imagine one of those getting put into my back. Uh, it's just one of those things I just, yeah, I, I cringe. I'm just like, oh, my God, that would suck. And then you're just there. Yeah. She's just there looking like, and you obviously, like, you know, can't she can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're just stuck there, and you have to watch this giant-ass guy with a, you know, skin face mask cut up your boyfriend with a chainsaw. Hey, you know what? I'm sorry. In that situation, I'd be like, fuck your boyfriend. I'm just trying to get the hell out of here and survive myself. So yeah. I'm like, you know, as Beyonce say, should have put a ring on it. He didn't put a ring on it, so she's <laughs> on her. So I'd be like, you're on your own. Peace <laughs> out, homie. All right, so then we cut to evening. Uh, it, it, it's uh, it's not time now, and Jerry goes to look for Kirk and Pam. Well, he finds the house, and he walks in, and he enters the back room and he discovers Pam. Uh, uh, he he sees like a freezer and he hears and he opens it up and that's where he discovers Pam. And she she's still uh, alive and she like is trying to jump out and uh, jump out of the freezer. But Leatherface appears and he bashes Jerry with the mallet again. So so Jerry's dead. So, so this is where it gets confusing because after this. It cuts to another scene. We never see Pam again. So mm, we don't know whether she lived or died. I mean, I, I'm going to assume she died because I doubt Leatherface would keep her alive, but we never really get confirmation that she died. I mean, I just don't, I just don't see her living. I mean, she got that meat hook yeah. in her back. She's in the freezer. I mean, um, and the other thing, too, is like when you're in the – I mean, it's, it's not just the cold of the freezer. Um, there's no oxygen. Yeah. So, I mean, she had to, you know, suffocate and die. I just don't see her character surviving. I mean, even if he left her in the freezer and never got back to her ever again, like, how, my assumption would be, like, in a few hours, the oxygen would have, you know, she would have used the, any oxygen that was inside of, in her, you know, inside the, inside the freezer that would have been trapped. You know, they talk about, you know, like being buried alive and stuff like that. You only have, you know, so much oxygen that's going to be in that before you essentially, you know, suffocate. So yeah, I just don't see her surviving. Yeah. So after this, we cut back and it, you know, like I said, it's not time. And Sally is trying to go through the woods and because she wants to look, she wants to look for everybody. And uh, Franklin's with her, but uh, and they get into a little argument because once again, one of the things that was annoying as shit about Franklin, he keeps bitching to her about how. He wants to go with her, but he wants to hold the flashlight, and he just won't give her the flashlight until she finally, you know, she finally gets it from him. And like, man, he just, man, he would not shut up about holding the flashlight. So she ends up, uh, so they're going through the woods, and you know, she's pushing Franklin, and all of a sudden, uh, you hear that one of them say, uh, "Did you hear that?" And what's interesting about this part of the movie is like th this: uh, all you hear is like not sound. It's very quiet. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Leatherface comes out of nowhere with a fucking chainsaw and kills Franklin with a chainsaw. Like he, like man, 
he pulled some crazy ninja like shit with this because and you have to you have to admit that you you got some serious skills if you can ninja your way uh sneaking up on somebody with a fucking chainsaw you can't sneak up somebody on a chainsaw i mean it's not possible he did, he did. um <laughs> and the thing is a chainsaw in order for this to happen you have to be you have to have two things an amazing chainsaw that will start on the first pull you yeah. have to be pretty strong because even you know my you know cutting wood you know we use chainsaws all the time and essentially you know you use one hand I told the chainsaw and you use your other hand to pull to to pull the the starter chain and camera was called off the top of my head but you know my brother was pretty you know pretty strong guy you know he would literally yank that some bitch you know and that chainsaw would literally i mean would as he pull it would come kind of swing out to about three feet away from away from him to try to get that thing started um and so in order just to hold it and just pull it you know do a quick yank to get that thing started is just and i'm sure you know leatherface is pretty strong but yeah this is just this is one though where um it'd be very difficult to sneak up on somebody I will say that the lack of this is one where the lack of blood is is bad for this kill because yeah. uh, if you look you can see blood splattering uh it, it, like spurting up and stuff but it's still not as you know gruesome as it as this oh, I mean could. literally if this was, <laughs> if this happened and I and I see it because of you know cutting wood you're, you're going to get a lot of uh, things coming back at you. Um, when yeah. we, you know, with chopping wood, you get a lot of fragments, a lot of uh, sawdust that's, cut, you know, kicking back at you. Leatherface should be covered in blood and intestinal organs. And yeah. so <laughs> he's in, he looks pretty clean. So, yeah, um, I think, so, you know, obviously, and we always talk about this when they remake movies, as they remade Text Chainsaw Massacre and, you know, all the sequels and prequels they created, we see that quite a bit in the um you know, in the new ones, the, the amount of blood that's used compared to the beginning. And obviously we know why um, in the beginning they wanted a special rating and they didn't have the budget for things like that. Yeah. So, man, he – so Franklin's fucking done for. Uh, I mean, and it, it, this is one of the things that – the only gripe I have about this movie. This movie is called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Five people get killed in this movie. So, you know – and Franklin is the only one who gets killed with a chainsaw. I, I don't I don't understand. It, 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 and this is, that's my big gripe about the entire franchise. Uh, in almost every one of the movies, there's not as many chainsaw kills. Like I just want them to make a Texas Chainsaw Massacre where everybody gets killed with a fucking chainsaw. It's like that's why I'm watching it. <laughs> I would I wouldn't say like every kill. But yeah. I definitely do think like Not every kill, but a majority of the kills. Yeah, because, be- you know, when you look at, you know, our favorite killers, you know, God, I feel, this, 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 uh, this, this edition of Trick or Truth po- podcast made me realize how morbid we are talking about oh, our favorite killers. Oh, this is blood. <laughs> but, um, you know, our Michael Myers, you know, is known for kitchen knife and Jason's known for his machete and Freddie's known for his glove. Um. But, you know, they also have killed people in many different ways. But, yeah. I mean, you are right, though. It's specifically tire, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, not the Texas Massacre. Um, so it definitely would be one to believe that you would have the majority yeah. of the kills would be um, with the chainsaw. 
because of that, you know. Yeah. And my my last gripe about this scene. So while Leatherface is just going to town on Franklin with his chainsaw, Sally is just standing there screaming and watching it the entire time. And it's not till he's almost finished that she finally, oh, okay, I need to run. Like I would immediately be fucking running. I don't know. I don't care who it was or how close I was to him. If I see somebody jump out with a chainsaw, you know, and obviously kill that person, I'm going to fucking run immediately. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's something to be said for, um, you know, your, um, I can't, you're, you're frightened and, you know, uh, Frightened, like, and paralyzed. I can't remember. Yeah. There's a term for it. Um, yeah, yeah, she was probably in shock. Oh, yeah. So, shock, yeah. you're not moving, but, um, but yeah, at the same time, though, like... Um, I'm going to find a way to snap myself out of it. Yeah. It's just... <laughs> you know, obviously, it's her brother, too, so... Yeah. You know, but, yeah, just one of the things where, like, I, yeah. I think also... But, you know, people have flight, flight or fright, so it's, like, same time, you're just, like, probably head for the hills as quickly, as fast as possible. Yeah. All right, so... So Leatherface kills Franklin, and Sally so Sally takes off running in the woods, and and the Leatherface is running after. And and what's interesting about this scene, and uh, I learned about this in the documentary. So if you uh, if you pay attention, if you look really closely in the background, while Sally's running running and Leatherface is chasing her, you can see Leatherface kind of cutting some branches. And the reason they did that was because Apparently, Gunnar Hansen was so much faster than Marilyn Burns, so, the, so they just had him do unnecessary shit like cutting branches in the background to kind of make it more even so he's not right there on her. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Which also, I mean, if, if you watch all the Texas Hell Massacre series, Leatherface has like insane stamina and speed. Like, I don't know what cardio program this guy's on, but I want to get on it because Jesus Christ. <laughs> and you know, and the other thing too, I'll say this as I, you know, I said earlier, you know, if a chainsaw is a very, it's a very interesting equipment because, you know, it, it's one of the best ways to chop a piece of wood, but you also have to, you also have to have a strength with it because a chainsaw, yeah. um, if you don't hold it correctly and you don't use, you know, strength to hold it in position, once you hit that piece of wood, a chainsaw can kick back and yeah. and cut you in the and and it literally you know hits you hit your body and oh, man I can't remember there's a story and I wish I knew what it was um I don't know if it was an athlete or I don't know if it was you know a, an outdoorsman but they talk about having this lucky hat and you know they're using a baseball cap to to cut to, um, to cut through with the chainsaw. And he wasn't, you know, something happened. He wasn't holding correctly, and that chainsaw kicked back, and it literally cut into the brim of his hat. So oh, he wow. literally had, you know, a chainsaw cut. He says if it wasn't for that hat and that brim of that hat, um, he literally would have cut through his cut his head open. Now I, I wouldn't know how bad it would have been, you know, if he would have yeah. you know, died or or how bad if it would have hit his skull. But yeah, a, a chainsaw is a very dangerous piece of equipment, and if you don't know what you're doing. Whether it's you know in life or even in this, um, in you know using it as a stunt, you could cause yeah. some serious damage to yourself and others. So, and yeah, I, I would say the the stunt man uh, definitely has some strength to him. 
And what's interesting, it also like you know, of course, for some stuff, for some scenes, they they took off the chain, but they're using a real chainsaw in this movie. So, you know, they had they run the risk of of stuff like that happening. But uh, so you know, they're running through the woods, and Sally finally finds the house where you know all of her friends went into. And she runs inside, and she she goes upstairs immediately, which is obviously a big movie mistake. If you you know we know this because you know, we're big Scream fans, you, you never run upstairs when you're getting chased. So she and she runs upstairs, and in and upstairs she finds the remains of an elderly couple. The woman, this man and this woman, both mummified, or so we think. The man's dead. And I think this is another where, instance of where they got inspiration from Ed Gein because he had bodies like just kind of sitting around in the house that were mummified and dressed up and stuff. I swear this must be the most morbid episode you've done in our short history. <laughs> I mean, from yeah, I, I swear. And the thing is, for us, because of how we are, this is normal. This is just yeah. you know. <laughs> it's great. I just think about that. We're talking about Ed Gein and, and the different way, you know, yeah. the Sawyer family. It's just really insane, like how, um, yeah. you know, this movie is. And also, <laughs> man, I mean, and I, and I hate saying it, go back to it, man, for 1974, I think even today, man, this is, a, I mean, this film is just, it, it goes off into the darkness and it's just very, um, it's a very different, unique film that we've never encountered before, you know, especially at that time. I mean, yeah. we've known about Psycho and The Exorcist, but this was just a very unique film for its time. Yeah. And so, you know, she she finds them. And then Leatherface comes in. But it's, I love this because, like, he opens the screen door. And then instead of just kicking in the door, this motherfucker just chainsaws, chainsaws through the door. <laughs> In order to get in, I mean, I guess that's one way to get in, but uh, he changed shells to the door, and then uh, you know, obviously he runs he runs into Sally, and she leaps just through through a window, uh, jumps through a window to escape, and you, you'll come to find like, man, Sally must love r- jumping through windows because she jumps through multiple windows in this movie. Uh, it's because you're a badass, man. Yeah, like, dude. sometimes you just kind of, you know, badass. there's some things I see in movies, like, in Jumping Through Windows is one of them. Like, man, I love jumping through the window. I'd probably die, but I would love to try it. Yeah. So she runs, she she runs, she jumps out a window and, and to escape, and she runs through the woods, and uh, Leatherface is uh, soon after. And, I mean, once again, God damn, is he fast. And, like, because he catches up to her, like, almost immediately. And so she runs up, and she comes up upon the gas station from the beginning and she runs in and then uh, this guy the, the the cook the guy at the gas station he opens the door and he lets her inside and you notice that you know leatherface doesn't come inside even though he was literally like right behind her uh and so he consoles her and then he ends up uh beating her with a fucking broomstick and i was like what the hell I man he beat the shit out of her with, with his broomstick and then he ends up uh, he ends up tying her up and he shoves her in his truck and he drives her to uh, to the house and uh, and on the way uh, he comes across the hitchhiker from the beginning and then he gets out and he 
beats him with the broomstick with the broomstick too, and you, you come to find out that they're all part of the same family. Uh, so, so then after this, they're back at the house, and we get to the infamous dinner scene. Uh, uh, Sally is tied up at the dinner table, and you know, it's revealed that the hitchhiker, the, the cook from the gas station, and uh, Leatherface are all one cannibalistic family. Uh, Sally, they're just physically and verbally tormenting Sally the entire time. I mean, I feel so bad for her because they're like, she's like, you know, begging for her life, and they're just over here making fun of her the entire time and just being sadistic as fuck. And so they end up bringing the the mummified uh, man from upstairs that we initially thought was dead uh, downstairs, and it turns out. He's he's alive. I mean, barely alive, but but he's alive, and he is the the, the father of the family. His no, grandpa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the grandpa of the family. Yeah, my, I'm, which my I mean, pardon my French. How fucking old is he? Like, did, yeah. he looks like he's 135. Yeah, he, he's insanely old. Uh, but what's interesting though is that if I'm not mistaken, the person playing him is only 19. Uh, oh, no, actually, as we're on the phone, I mean, on the, as, as we're coming to this podcast, I'm looking at some behind the scenes videos. Yeah. And I saw the video of them doing the, um, you know, doing the, you know, makeup. Yeah. I mean, the the the, the character or the gentleman that plays a grand, grandpa, his name is John Dugan. Yeah. Or uh, I believe it's Dugan is how you say it. Yeah. And as of as of right now, he's 67. He was born in 53. So when this film was released, he was. um. <laughs> I think 21, 50, 53 to 74. Was he? Hold on. Uh, that's, yeah, that's 21. I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty positive doing my math correctly. But when you see him, though, he, he, yeah, he was born in 53 and the movie is 74, so he should be he was 21. Yeah, yeah, 21. Okay, yeah. Yeah, 21, yeah. But when you see him out yeah. of out of makeup and you see like and there's a picture of him if you actually go to um uh one of somebody that we talked about before how much i, I love his work james a janice on the dead meat youtube channel yeah there's a picture of him and you know as they're getting started with the makeup you know beginning he looks like he's 17 yeah he, 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 he's like he looks like he's a high school freshman or something or a high school junior at, at the latest he looks so young yeah. baby face um, you know, there's a picture of getting some makeup. He has, you know, he looks like he barely went through puberty, man. So, and, I mean, and this is, it goes back to, they use a lot of local talent and creativity to create what they did for this film. And that's a lot of credit to them. Yeah. Prop, props to the makeup artist, man. They freaking killed it. Uh, 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 I, I, I remember hearing an interview where they said that apparently that makeup took so long to put it to put together and was such a just a frustrating process that he refused to put it on again so they had to shoot every scene with the grandpa like back to back to back so that he didn't have to on um makeup again i'll say this you know and i keep will allude to it um and i know that a lot of fans of the um text chase on massacre original don't like the 3d ver- the 3d version but he played grandpa sawyer in the um in 3d oh he did didn't he yeah yeah uh, i was i was looking up as i was looking him up i, I saw that so I, that's you know those things tickle me to death because i love nostalgia and anything yeah. to do that 
the blast from the past i think is awesome so i thought that was kind of a cool thing and in the makeup they did um as and i'm seeing the beyonce's makeup it's only on his hands and on and just on his face yeah so i mean because he's he's in the suit but i can like i said we talked about you know prosthetics and um and one of the last ones i, I can't imagine sitting still having him do this to me for multiple hours i, I would lose my mind so they bring the grandpa downstairs and the hitchhiker tells them that they want him to kill Sally because he's the best killer in the family and that, that they think he should kill her. So they bring the grandpa over and they cut Sally, uh, uh, Leatherface cut Sally, uh, cut Sally's uh, finger. And what's interesting though, is that they really did cut Marilyn Burns finger. Apparently from what I read was they had something set up to where uh, they were going to like basically like move it over and then blood was going to ooze out to make it look like the cutter. Well, he couldn't get it to work and he got so frustrated with constantly having to retry and it not working that he just fucking cut her finger. And, and she actually didn't know he cut her finger until later on when he talked about it in a, uh, a documentary and she was kind of, she was kind of mad about it, but because You'll see because after they cut her finger, they stick her finger in the grandpa's mouth and he kind of like, you know, drinks her, her the blood from her finger, which is I don't, I don't know why he's doing this is weird. But, yeah, and she was kind of pissed because, you know, they exposed her real finger to, you know, John Dugan and saliva. So the grandpa is drinking her blood. And so then the uh, the hitchhiker, he ends up uh, grabbing the, the, the mallet. And he gives it to Grandpa. He puts it in his hand, and he wants her to. He wants him to hit her over the head. He wants him to kill her with it. Well, he well, he's too weak to do so. He ends up hitting her like one time and uh, barely, but it still is enough to to to, uh, to do some damage to her head. And Leatherface and Hitchhiker are trying to like hold the sledgehammer for him, the the mallet for him, so he can hit her. But he's kind of too weak to do so. So then the Hitchhiker ends up getting infuriated. He grabs the hammer. And it ends up letting go of Sally, and and so it, when all that happens, she jumps through another fucking window, and uh, just as the sun is beginning to rise, so she runs, she jumps through the window, and she runs to the road, and right behind her is Leatherface, and the uh, and the hitchhiker is is chasing her, but as they're running out the road, an eighteen wheeler drives by, and he ends up running over the hitchhiker, <laughs> hilarious, hilarious scene, like the way he fucking died. <laughs> man uh he runs the the 18 wheeler runs him over killing him so he's our fifth and final victim of the movie the the 18 wheeler uh stops and sally runs to 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 get in and she hits the door and then uh sally and the uh the 18 wheeler guy they get out on the other side to run away because leatherface is is chasing them and they run around the truck and uh the truck driver ends up uh he he had grabbed a wrench before he got out he hits leatherface with a wrench causing him to drop his chainsaw and it, it cuts his leg uh that was actually the, the final scene filmed in the movie too uh the final thing that gunner hansen filmed uh sally ends up uh jumping in the back of a passing by pickup truck at and as she's driving away she's uh laughing hysterically at leatherface and, and it's iconic uh, the iconic scene, Leatherface is just kind of in the middle of the road, swinging around his chainsaw in frustration. And funny about that, that scene is pure improv. A close friend of mine, before Gunnar Hansen passed away, he used to go to horror conventions 
and he met Gunnar Hansen quite a few times and ended up becoming friends with them. Well, he asked him one day about that scene and Gunnar and Gunnar told him that that was just pure improv that uh, because I told you before that, you know, they filmed this in Texas in the, in the middle of the summer. So it was like, you know, 100, 112 degree heat. Well, because of they had such a low budget, Gunnar like never took off like the leather face outfit because they were afraid they'd mess it up. So he's out there in that 112 degree heat and that full getup. So this was the last day of filming. So when he did that, he was just celebrating that it was the last day of filming because he was so excited to go back to his hotel room in the air conditioner. And Toby Hooper ended up really locking it and got him to redo it and kept it in, and kept it in the movie. That's pretty awesome. You know, that's one of the things I, I was looking up. Uh, I was looking up a video. Uh, you know, sometimes you go on Facebook or you go on YouTube and you see random videos come up. And it was like, you know, in um, those called um, impromptu shots. Yeah. In movies, you know, that end up being left in because of, you know, what it meant for the film, you know, and that that's really cool to see. Um, I feel like on a different one. Um, something similar to that kind of happened with um, Django Unchained yeah. where Leonardo DiCaprio cut his hand yeah. open and, and they left it in because they just thought it was such a cool image of the film yeah, where that they didn't yeah. that glass yeah. so that, that's that's kind of that, that's cool to hear I, I like things like that yeah oh, funny, uh, funny behind the scenes thing uh, Paul Pertain who played you know Franklin you know he said that in order for him to play Franklin and be as, you know, as whiny as possible and stuff, he said it was really hard for him to reach that character. And so he was afraid that he would lose it if he broke character. So throughout the entire film and uh, throughout the entire film and process, he stayed in character so much that Gunnar Hansen actually thought that he didn't like him. And so like for years, Gunner didn't like uh, Paul Pertain because he thought that they had beef because of the way he acted during filming. And it wasn't until like years later, they found out that Paul Pertain told him that, no, he was just in character. He didn't want to lose character. And so they ended up becoming, becoming friends after that. Well, I was looking up, you know, both of us, you and I would take notes and we look at, you know, trivia behind the scenes stuff. I was looking at the opening narrator. Yeah. Um, John LaCroix, LaCroix. I'm not going to say his name, right. That it, According to him, that his payment for doing the opening narration for yeah. the film was a marijuana joint. Yep, yep. <laughs> That's yep. uh, and you know what? Nowadays, as we, you know, as more states become legal, um, you know, if you, if that's what you're into, you know. Bless you, you, you do you, boo, as I as I yeah. say in real life. So that's that's really cool to see. Yeah. Uh, I probably would ask for a nice bottle of a bourbon, but that's just me. <laughs> Yeah, like apparently uh, how hot it was and stuff, most everybody didn't uh, just to keep continuity. None of them like washed their clothes until they were finished. So like they were just wearing this, this, this awful stuff. So like, and especially Gunnar Hansen, he said that it kind of sucked when they weren't filming because nobody wanted to be around him because of how bad he smelled. They would just kind of stay away from him because of how awful he smelled. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things was the original budget was sixty thousand, but after editing processing, they incurred additional eighty thousand. So they had to sell some of the portions of the ownership of the film royalties to get up, which caused the 
yeah um to get to the 140,000 so you know it's it's crazy when you even even with that though I, I look at this film and I'm just like man I don't you know I just don't know how you make the, uh, this film on 140,000 just from a technical side that just seems super low yeah I mean I'm I'm assuming everybody everybody got paid a, a meal in a hotel stay so so originally Gunnar Hansen uh he actually turned down the role of Leatherface uh it wasn't in, and it wasn't until his friend, he was friends with Marilyn Burns, she ended up talking him into it, and because he, he turned it down just because of the sheer brutality of the plot. And uh, he actually wasn't the first person that was uh, cast to play Leatherface. The original actor who was supposed to play Leatherface, uh, I don't remember exactly what happened, but apparently there was at some point he just he just locked himself in the hotel room and was drunk and refused to come out. And so they ended up calling back Gunnar Hansen and and told him and 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 told him if he wanted asked him if he wanted the part and so he he said he did and so that's how he got Leatherface because the original actor just got drunk and didn't want to come out of the hotel room. Uh, Must have been a wrestler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh. I mean, one of the things is this film. I mean, is we talked about early in the beginning about trying to get a PG thirteen or PG rating and did it. I mean, this film was banned, you know, in, in Finland. It was it had a lot of controversy getting um, approved in a lot most of Europe. So yeah. um, this was definitely a a unique film. You know, you look at the director, what he wanted to accomplish, and the end result. And how outside the United States, you know, we have our standards are the threshold is a lot higher than other places, but in a lot of other countries, they did not except this film yeah no that they didn't it took like i think it was 25 years in new zealand for it to for it to ever come out it was banned and then when it finally did they released it uncut which is i find interesting uh, toby hooper allowed uh gunner hansen to develop leatherface as he saw fit under his supervision so Gunner decided that Leatherface was mentally handicapped and never learned to talk properly. And in order to accurately capture it, uh, Gunner actually went to a school for the mentally handicapped and watched how they moved and listened to them and, and talked to get a feel for how he wanted to do Leatherface. But he also said that he made it a point to try his best to make his portrayal as non-offensive as he could. And he said that many fans, including those who are mentally handicapped, say he succeeded. Now, you know, I can't uh, I can't comment on that uh, uh, on that myself, as you know, I don't uh, I'm not mentally handicapped. so I don't know if you can say it was an offensive take or if you can say he's he succeeded. It's tough. You know, I know one of the things I'm not maybe not back in the 70s, but now. Anytime you have a, a situation where you are dealing with a character who may have special needs, sometimes you know people praise the the work they do. Sometimes they don't. I remember there was a movie about an individual um, who was playing a deaf character, and some people praised his work as a deaf character, uh, learning you know learning how to sign. And some individuals you know criticized the film for not um, not employing an actual deaf actor. So I, I really don't have anything to comment on on that particular part because um, I, I just don't know. Yeah. Uh, so this 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 one's pretty interesting. I thought this is 
insane. Uh, so the the famous director, uh, and I always butcher his first name, so I apologize. Uh, Helmuro del Toro. I think I said that right. Guillermo del Toro, the yeah. famous uh, director from Pan's Labyrinth and uh, uh, Blade Two. Yeah, yeah. He uh he, he's went on record and said that this movie made him turn vegetarian for four years. Listen, I I've killed my own animal, so if that didn't make me a vegetarian, then a movie is not gonna make me a vegetarian. But yeah. you know, for all you, for every vegetarian vegan out there, all power to you. There's no way you're gonna get me to stop eating meat. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think that that just like is a testament to how like you know sadistic and horrifying the, the, this movie really is. I have I have two. Uh, Terry McKinnon who played Pam. Uh, she was paid $700 for this film. Yeah. And Gunnar Hansen was paid $800 and, you know, put that into today's uh, the $800, $800 converted to 2020 inflation would be worth approximately uh, $4,200, which, you know, that's, that's pretty good month of work. Uh, work. Um, if you're doing an eight to five job, the amount of hours they put in, obviously working in Hollywood is a lot different than working an eight to five job, but uh, he definitely earned his pay, especially having to wear the same shirt every single day for four weeks straight. Uh, yeah, most of the actors, uh, besides of uh, besides like uh, Marilyn Burns, who was already friends with Gunner, uh, they actually have never they actually never met Gunner before the film, and it wasn't until uh, they had a scene with him in full costume that they met him. So that was pretty neat. So like the first time they're meeting Gunner Hansen is in full Leatherface get up during a scene. <laughs> yeah. One of the interesting things uh, I mean, about the title of the film, <laughs> the title of the film is called the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But, it, and I was, when I was looking it up in this film, for those of you, um, if you're listening, uh, hopefully you watched it, but if you did it, this is on shutter, highly recommend um, getting a shutter subscription. That's why I saw it again last night. It's Texas chain saw massacre. Chainsaw is considered two words, and I was having a hell of a time finding it on my, uh, you know, when I was searching for it yeah. on my, I, I use a Roku streaming device, and I was like, why? I have, I see every single sequel except the original, and then it, you know, it was just having a hard time coming up, and then finally I kind of, I don't know what I did, but I end up, I think, you know, backspacing, and then I see it, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I don't know, it's just weird to me that it's, you know, chainsaws, two separate words. Yeah, I just thought that was very interesting. Uh, let's get in some final thoughts here. Uh, so, you know, as I said before, this is like my favorite horror movie of all time. So, of course, you know, no shocker, I'm going to give it uh, five chainsaws out of five. I think this is a highly important film for the genre. And it, it, this is... I mean, this is, in my opinion, like one of the best ones ever made, one of the best horror movies ever made. And it just it, it, it brought so much to the genre and inspired so much and, and everything. For me, I'll, I'm going to give it four out of five chainsaws. I in the only difference is I'm you know big into characters and this film. It, this is a very storyline driven film. And I think, you know, that's the most important thing about this film. The budget is insane. You know, when you look at how how much resources they have to work with, 
and how they're able to accomplish it. You know, I have a lot of respect for the producers and directors. Uh, I think there are some things potentially when you, you and I talk about, you know, using the chainsaw more, um, maybe having, you know, one or two um, actors slash actresses that probably would stand out a little bit more. Yeah. But it's, you know, it is a great, it is a great film when you look at what they were able to really kickstart the, for me, I think really would potentially help kickstart that slasher genre. You also look at, you know, you talk about Ridley Scott is influenced, influenced him quite a bit. It definitely helped with the independent film scene. I, I think this is definitely a one of a kind, you know, they've tried multiple times to recreate the success of the original to no avail, you know, there, I, in my opinion, the sequels are nowhere even close. I mean, they're not even a distant second, they're distant last place compared to the original. And oh. so, yeah, I think, let's see, when I ranked the, the series, it, the top three to me is you know, obviously this one at number one. I like Texas Chantel Massacre 2, so I always put that at number two. I know a lot of people. Uh, it's become more like it's become a cult uh, a cult favorite over the years uh and then i love the reboot with jessica bill i think it's like one of the best horror horror re- remakes i've seen in a while so i always put that at number three like i think some of the final girls like you know the last one i go on to like i did like the main girl alexandra dario who ends up playing the other face of sister in 3d i thought she was yeah. good everybody else was horrendous you know, I like Jordana Brewster in the Tech Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning. Jessica Bill is a phenomenal actress. I love her quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I just think, though, in my opinion, though, is just there's just no comparison. You know, I look at when I look at things like Friday Thirteenth, I look at Nightmare, I look at Halloween. Um, you know, Child's Play. You know, I can find some closeness comparisons. You know, as far as like, oh, this one's you know pretty good, but it's just second. The original, though, you know, going back and looking at it and what they're able, you know, like I said, what they're able to accomplish, the storyline driven, you know, this and the what they're able to do, I thought was was really cool. So it's a very unique film. And you, you really look at it. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to have to go back, just look at the history of the horror genre. But, you know, just in general, over, the, over you know, the decades, I just, you know, for me, not realizing when this film came out in 74, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, Halloween really kind of kickstarted the slasher genre. It's like, uh, I think it, I'm pretty sure it's this one. And that's not easy for me to say that considering the fact is how much I love Halloween. I don't know. Like everybody always says like, you know, like Psycho and Halloween kind of kicked off the slasher genre. And like, uh, there's actually some people who actually don't consider this movie a slasher, which is odd. Uh, I don't see that. I, I don't know if it's because. Yeah. I, I might maybe they're people they're not getting they're not using knives but this is this is a slasher film I mean it really it's 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 a, a slasher serial killer I mean whatever you, but I mean you have Leatherface <laughs> I mean it's it's a family it, it's obviously a family but Leatherface is the entire family though he's the one that's going through and doing all this um and doing the you know, the killings and, and picking the, picking off these, these kids one by one. So, uh, I've always kind of felt, you know, psycho is more of a, um, 
a thriller psychological horror film a little bit different i I didn't see it as i just never saw it but i definitely probably would have to go back to to look at that one again but yeah i it is a like i said the first one uh it you know was light years ahead of the rest and really is you know i definitely going back and seeing it a second time know why a lot of people have a, a deep appreciation for Leatherface. yeah oh yeah well, we hope everyone has enjoyed this review and our talk of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, from 1974. Uh, I, I've had a great time talking about it. I, you know, this is like one of my favorite movies of all time. So it, it was, it's been a blast to, to chat about this with you, Jr. Uh, we won't reveal what next week's episode is just yet because we haven't, uh, we haven't posted the schedule for December. Just uh, if uh, if you're on Twitter uh, or any of our social media websites, we'll we'll, we'll post the schedule for December soon. It it, it it's a pretty fun lineup uh, for sure. Uh, I, I'm excited to, to talk about quite a bit of them. Uh, so with that said, uh, we're gonna get into some last minute plugs. Uh, as always, check out the rest of our shows on the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Uh, you can find them on Twitter at SNC Network on Twitter pretty much re- retweets and shares from all the other different shows and just, just check out all the shows and what's great is that they're all different like not 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 one show is the same there's just a different variety for everybody there make sure you uh if you need any av tech services or if you just want to buy some cool merch uh check out carmen children's av tech.com the that's our editor carbon and he's wonderful and we'll always down to to support him as much as we can Check us out on Twitter at Trick or Treat Pod, on Instagram at Trick or Treat Pod, and we have a Facebook page just called the Trick or Treaters Podcast, and we're we'll post about upcoming shows or just fun tad bits. Uh, also, uh, here recently, I'm sure I think we've talked this before. So me and Jr. are are writers for uh for WrestleJoy, which is a wrestling website that focuses more on like the joy of wrestling and positivity and stuff. And me and JR always do a, a dynamite preview every, uh, every Wednesday. So if you're a wrestling fan and especially AEW, uh, check out Russell joy and read mine and JR's dynamite preview every Wednesday. But, uh, also here recently I've gotten to become a, uh, writer for a horror website called dark universe horror database where I'm, I'm in charge of pretty much uh, writing, writing news pieces, reviews, editorials, etc. I'm, I'm excited about that. I've been wanting to, to get into horror journalism for, a, for a while now, and I'm, I'm excited to finally get my foot in the door with that. So if you're, if you, so obviously you listen to this, you're a horror fan, but uh, check out a Dark Universe horror database uh, for all the news and stuff. I think that's it for me jr you got any plugs you know to go over slash and cast podcast network you know some of the different um our colleagues are dropping some good stuff i saw you know they're gonna some of them are dropping like off the top of my head a thing the thing uh cover uh review i saw the sixth sense i saw um sinister a lot of good ones coming up from a lot of our colleagues i you know really and really love being a part of this great group of podcasters great people um they just have the love and passion for horror um shout out to carmen for making me sound better than what i really do it does an amazing job you know with all of our av work so uh, much love and respect 
when this drops, obviously it'd be, you know, right, right after Thanksgiving and the ho- the holidays around the corner. Um, you know, not to get, this isn't a political message. This is just guys be careful out there. You know, cases of COVID are surging. You wear your mask, you know, the three W's wear a mask, wash your hands, watch your distance. You know, it's no matter whether you, you know, agree or not disagree, the science is what it is. Um, a lot of states are shutting down because the cases are spiking. The only way that we're going to be able to enjoy the new year and things open back up is to curb the spread and everybody has to do, you know, do follow those three W's. And um, this is just a public service announcement, you know, you know, us being in this in, in eight months, nothing's going to change unless we curb, unless these cases start going on the decline. And right now they're surging. So um, protect your loved ones, you know, think about anybody, if you have any sort of pre-existing condition, um, if you're at risk for anything, if you have children, your parents, you know, grandparents, yourself, you know, I don't want to get too far into the weeds of it, but it's just a very difficult situation for all of us. And you really have to take care of yourselves and your family. And it's something you, you don't want. And I, you know, I've dealt with this back in February. It sucks. I still deal with complications from it to this day. Um, so I just, just a lot of love and respect. Just be careful out there. And, you know, the sooner we curb and decline these cases, the faster all of us are going to be able to go back to the movies and enjoy seeing a movie in person. We're going to be able to go out to events. You're going to be able to go back to conventions. So um, do your part and help curb uh, and curb the cases of COVID. Yep. Uh, 100% agree. Uh, everybody, when you're out in public, uh, just make sure you wear your mask. It's, it's that simple. Just wear the mask when you're around people and uh, try and stay six feet away and just help us uh, try and get everything under control so we can hopefully be back to normal hopefully sometime next year maybe we'll see but uh once again thank you everybody for joining us and we hope you all have had a great time and we thank you all for your continued support and we just hope you'll continue to to support us from here on out and join us uh next week like i said everybody have a great day uh uh, continue to be safe out there and thanks for listening uh with that we must uh bid you adieu Goodbye, good night, stay creepy, bang.